Uh, friends, it is uh, wonderful to be uh, with you all this morning uh, to share God's word with you. Uh, I'll be uh, uh, preaching on uh, Luke chapter 14, and uh, afterwards I will uh, share something about our mission uh, with uh, BCA up in Morimbah. Uh, so if you'll uh, have your Bibles open at uh, Luke chapter 14, that would be very helpful. Let me just pray very briefly as we look at God's word together. God, our Father, I pray your blessing upon us this morning. Pray that your Holy Spirit uh, may enrich our hearts and deepen our faith in you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, There are many things at which I uh, have a talent for. I'm not a bad cook. I can uh, pluck a few songs on the guitar and, uh, and a few other things as well. Uh, one of the things that I am not so good at is managing my social calendar, uh, knowing where I'm supposed to be and who I'm supposed to be with. Uh, it was, I think, easier back in the old days when there was an event coming up. Everything was written down nice and easily. If there was a, a wedding coming up, for example, you'd get a nice little formal card in the mail that could be stuck up on the refrigerator door, and then you would at least have that reminder, okay, that's where I'm supposed to be at that time. Uh, but so many invitations and events, they don't get, uh, they don't get uh, uh, shared that way anymore. I, I got a, uh, an invitation to my cousin's wedding that was all online recently. And uh, so that's the way it comes. And there's, some things do come in the mail, but some of them are, are done on an event on Facebook, and that's where it's supposed to be. And others are just a, a message from someone, a text message, say, oh, we're having this event at, at this place. And, and I must admit, I find it hard to keep track of where I'm supposed to be. And so I, I will sometimes end up saying to Julia, oh, well, I'll, I'm going to do this on, on this day. I'm going to go out and have some fun. And Julia says, no, you're not. We're, go- we're going to uh, so-and-so's birthday party that day. We've, we've RSVP'd for it. I say, have we? You know, I- I've no idea where I'm supposed to be. And so, but I-, I have a wonderful wife who can keep track of everything, who knows where I'm supposed to be, who said, no, we have sent our reply. We, uh, we are committed to going to this, and so we are going. So that is what I'm most thankful for uh, at times like that. I have a a wife who can do these things for me. Invitations are at the forefront of this passage from Luke chapter 14. Invitations that go out and are responded to in various ways. And it's more than just an invitation to a, a great meal, which we see here in Luke chapter 14. But rather, there's a bigger implication, of course. Jesus is making a greater point about those who are invited into the kingdom of God, but who, for one reason or another, don't seem to know where they're supposed to be. And so their priorities get out of whack, just like me when I say, oh, well, I might go out and have a fun, fun day by myself. But then Julia says, no, we're supposed to be over here doing something else. My priorities were out of whack. I didn't know where I was supposed to be. And that seems to be the case with the characters in this parable from Luke chapter 14. Let us get our bearings, first of all, on where we are at this point in Luke's gospel. Jesus is on his long journey to Jerusalem from Galilee with his disciples. 
It's a time where he engages in teaching about the challenges and the nature of the kingdom of God to all who will listen. In this chapter, at the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus had gone to the house of a Pharisee for a meal. During this dinner party, Jesus had healed a man with swelling of some description and got into a debate with other Pharisees who were at the dinner party uh, about whether it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Afterwards, Jesus gave some teaching on what godly hospitality should look like, not about gaining social points or paying back those who had treated you well. Instead, Godly hospitality was focused on the need to embrace humility. And so Jesus said that we are to invite those who are unable to repay us into our hospitality situations, the poor, the crippled, and so forth. And there will be a great reward at the end of it. Uh, so let me read, first of all, verses 13 and 14, because they lead in very, uh, very well into, this, into the passage we're looking at today. Jesus said, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So that is what's just happened. Now, if we are to be honest here, Jesus has not been the best dinner guest on the planet. He has acted in culturally shocking ways. He has criticised the morality of the host and the other guests who are present and implied that a truly godly meal would be conducted very differently. You could imagine that the people who are sitting around or rather lying around the table with him were probably feeling rather uncomfortable at this point. And our passage today picks up the story of the party with another guest trying to, if not exactly change the subject, at least move forward into a, into a better environment, away from the uncomfortable social questions that Jesus has raised, and onto a bigger theological picture. I think what this other guest was doing was a genuine but mistaken attempt to get everyone back on common ground. And so this other guest says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, the implication of this statement is that the present time in which we live is messy. Social problems will always be with us. People's motivations aren't always clear. There will always be those who miss out on blessings in this life. And so our present feasting will always be somewhat tainted. We will never have the perfect feasts around which we can gather in this life. But a much better feast is coming, one for the righteous of God. We won't set the agenda there. God will. And God will present this perfect feast. And the problems of the poor, the outcast and the crippled, they, they won't really apply at the time of the resurrection. All that will remain is a time of pure blessing. It sounds good enough, doesn't it? But I think behind this statement at the beginning of our passage is a fair amount of spiritual arrogance, for want of a better word. This other dinner guest seems to have a confidence that he knows who will be in and who will be out of that final feast. 
He was, of course, one of the members of the Pharisees, and he believed that those who followed the law of Moses would merit enough grace to mean that they would be included. Outsiders may have to be endured and tolerated in the present time to fulfill obligations of mercy under the law. But in the end, we know it is only the truly righteous who will be there at the end, at the feast in the kingdom. It's as though this dinner guest has his invitation to that final feast all wrapped up, and he's just waiting for that day to arrive when everything is going to be perfect. And it's at this point that Jesus tells a parable about a banquet but which is obviously meant to correct this other guest's spiritual shortcomings. While it is clear that those who are going to be at this feast will indeed be blessed, Jesus is more interested in how the guests happen to be there. What we discover is that those who are blessed to be at the feast are not those we might naturally expect. Our parable opens in verses 16 to 19 with a a series of invitations and excuses. A man is going to give a great banquet. And obviously, this is a parable that's meant to represent the kingdom of God right away. After all, this is the subject under discussion. And a range of invitations go out to people who are deserving people who would be expected to be at the banquet, the nearest and dearest of this great man. But many refuse to come. And so excuses are provided as to why they can't come. And none of them are extremely convincing. A new field has been bought. New livestock have been acquired. A recent wedding has taken place. Everybody's a little bit too busy. And so they believe that the master won't take offence or there will be another opportunity to gather together for a feast. It looks as though this great feast that the master of the house has planned is in danger of being ruined because those that the host believed were the closest people to him can't be bothered to show up. At this point, it's worthwhile stopping to consider what the excuses that were given say about the people making them and their attitude to the master of the feast. It's not that the excuses in and of themselves are unimportant. Personal property must be managed. Marriage relationships are things that do require attention and can't just be ignored because you would rather go and attend to parties. On the other hand, uh, on the surface, uh, these reasons for not going look like they're being made by busy and important people who just can't fit another social evening into their schedule. And, and yet something rings a bit hollow. When, when taken as a group, we can discern a bit of a pattern here. Excuses that reveal a priority of worldliness and personal self-importance. These people who have received the invitations are so caught up in their own lives, looking to themselves and their material investments and priorities and advancement, rather than at a key relationship 
that would usually have meant they respond to this invitation. A fellowship meal has been proposed and the people just don't see the reason why they should stop what they are doing to share in the celebration with a friend who wants their company. And applying this to the kingdom of God, we understand that Jesus is making a point. There are those who would be expected and very welcome to come to the great feast of the kingdom. Except for the fact that the priorities of their lives are on the wrong things. When they should be thinking about heavenly things, they are thinking about earthly things. When the time for the kingdom banquet has arrived, they treat the messenger as unimportant and instead focus on other things that could really be put aside. In doing so, we see what they really think about God and whether they truly wish to be at his feast. What does the master of the feast do? Well, in verses 21 to 24, we see that he responds by filling the feast with outsiders and foreigners. The master decides that this feast is not going to be rescheduled for a better day. Other people might say, well, we'll cancel this. Wait till everyone's got a better weekend and then you can all come there. But no. Instead, the guest list is expanded. The first group of new guests are the town outsiders in verse 21. The poor, the, the poor, the blind, and the lame of the community. Those who would have been considered in the society at the time not complete, unclean socially and spiritually. The feast is, in other words, opened up to all sorts of unrespectable guests. And we understand this in the context of who Jesus has been reaching out to in his ministry the tax collectors and sinners, those who had physical illnesses, the social outcasts who could not join in the worship life of Israel. In other words, even within the Jewish community of the time, there are plenty who could come to the feast of God if they understood the invitation was going out to them. But we see that even when this is, uh, this is done, there is more room at the feast. And so a second group is brought in, those beyond the town, those that the master maybe has never seen personally. So he says to go to the highways and the hedges in verse 23 and make them come in. They weren't looking to come to the feast. They, they had no idea that a, a feast was even possible, that it was being put on. Instead, someone comes to them from a neighboring town and say, have you heard about this feast? There is room for you to come in, so come back to my master's house. Well, who would these be? Who is Jesus referring to here? Well, it would be those from outside of Israel, the Gentiles, the kingdom feast was not prepared for them first and they had no natural right to be there. But God, we see, is going to pull people in from everywhere, from all around this wonderful great world, for people of every nation and tribe and language. And when Jesus makes this point, which would have been very clear to the other guests at that dinner party, 
it would have been a shocking thing for them to hear that those who were closest would be put aside so that those deemed unworthy could be welcomed in. How do we recognise the call to the kingdom feast? How do we make sure, brothers and sisters, that we are at that kingdom feast? How are we to take this parable of Jesus today? First of all, recognise, no matter who you are in this room, that you have an invitation. It doesn't matter if you think of yourself as a good, upstanding person who has been sitting in this church for decades, who has served faithfully, who can look at themselves and think, well, I have nothing to reproach myself with. Number one, you're deceiving yourselves. But number two, if you, are an, if you would consider yourself an insider to God's people, the invitation is to you. But it is not an exclusive party. If this is the first time you have walked into a church in many years, the invitation is for you. If you have been in and out and not sure where God has been in long periods of your life, the invitation is for you. The invitation is for all. And secondly, make sure if you get the invitation that you're preparing for the right party. The Pharisees, as they sat around with Jesus imagined that they would be going to a very particular type of feast at the resurrection day. But they had it wrong. They hadn't understood the grace of God, what the redemption of God meant, not just for them personally, but for the whole world. And so they were not ready when the messenger of the feast came to tell them to be prepared. They were not ready for the feast to begin in their presence. People will have all sorts of ideas about who God is and what the kingdom is really going to be like. Imagine what everyone could picture their own heaven in their own minds, and many people do. So we have to learn from God. We have to listen to the words of Jesus. When he tells us what the kingdom of God is like, we need to take that seriously. We need to be obedient to the word of God. We need to have the word of God dwell within us richly so that when the feast is finally prepared and we are called to the presence of God, we will be truly prepared. Finally, and this is the most important understanding that we have an invitation, that we're preparing for the right party, we finally have to say yes. We have to say yes to the kingdom of God. It's not something that we can put off to a more convenient time. To say, oh yes, the kingdom of God is there and one day I must really get around to doing something about it. I've I've got a long time till I can send back my RSVP and I'm 
sure it'll all get sorted out in the end. No, friends. The time to say yes to the invitation of God is today. God is inviting us and he has provided everything necessary. And so we must not be like those concerned more with the things of the world. However important they may look at the time. How they think, oh, I must get this other thing in my life sorted out before I turn to the things of God. No, we must have the most important thing done first. We have to give our committed yes. If you have done that in your life, praise God, you are on the yes list. If you've been holding out, waiting to give your yes to God, to say that you will want to be part of this eternal banquet, that you will want to be a child of the kingdom, to have sins forgiven and life eternal promised, today is a wonderful day to say yes to the kingdom of God. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, your invitation to your kingdom, to eternal life. We thank you that you have provided a saviour, Jesus Christ, who by his death and resurrection gives us an assurance of forgiveness and eternal life with you. We thank you that you hold out this invitation to everyone. And I pray, Father, that as we sit here today, you would hear in our own hearts our great yes to your invitation, your welcome into your kingdom, and the promise and grace of eternal life that will sustain us as we wait for that glorious banquet to begin. Amen.